And here's how I differentiate between somebody with an employee mindset and somebody with an entrepreneurial mindset. If you hit an obstacle and you relax and you think, oh man, the fire alarm's going off. Amazing. I get to go home early today. (laughs) By definition, you have an employee's mindset. (laughs) Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Hi, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. And this episode is... I don't even want to say it's an oldie but a goodie because it's just a goodie. There's nothing oldie about it. This is a timeless interview with my friend Tom Bilyeu. And you know why I love Tom? Because he's an example of someone who, certainly from my perspective and the perspective of almost anyone you would talk to, has reached the peak of success in business. And he got there and he's not an asshole. It might sound funny, but throughout my career, I've met people who have done a lot less than Tom and have had an ego a lot bigger for God knows what reason. And it's not that he's a perfect person, but he really does try to, I think, walk the walk and talk the talk. And um, for that, I really appreciate him. And I have seen his his company, Impact Theory, since the very beginning uh, grow when he was just leaving Quest Nutrition, uh, which was a billion-dollar exit for him and his team. And when he was just starting Impact Theory, which we had the privilege of helping him to launch uh, maybe about five years ago now or maybe six years ago, uh, it was just another internet startup like anyone else. And since then, he has taken it to new heights with the amount of people he's been able to bring into the studio itself, which he's created from scratch, uh, the, the incredible guests he's gotten, the production he's done. Uh, nowadays, if you look at Impact Theory Studios, they are heavily positioning themselves towards NFT and the crypto space. And in this episode, uh, this is filmed in 2017 when Tom was just formulating the plan for this. So what I think is really interesting is if you listen to this episode, which was filmed at that time, listen to his vision for what he had in mind, and then look at what he's actually executed on. This man has done it. And of course, there have been some things along the way that he didn't predict back in 2017, but it's funny that he still positioned himself towards his goal, which was, and he said it at the time, to create a media company that would rival and exceed Disney, to create the next Disney. And he's doing that in his own way using Web3. And this is a a sneak peek back at the beginning of that process in 2017. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Tom. And uh, I just, I love talking to him. So there you go. You're going to enjoy it. Now, while you're here, make sure that you're tapped into the new wave as well. This is a good example of someone who just looking at him was always looking towards the future. And I think that's a great quality to have in yourself, looking towards the future when it comes to where your next useful skill set's going to be. And I recommend that you learn what we're doing in Web3. I recommend that you keep up with us on what we're developing around personal sovereignty, learning to protect yourself and your family, and of course, understanding what's coming with business and finance as the new wave of the world develops, everything that's going on, and we're keeping tabs with everything 
uh, and, and put it all on newwaveentrepreneur.com. So make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. Make sure you check out the Discord, which is our community that's growing, and that's available on newwaveentrepreneur.com. And make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever channel you listen to it on, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, all that, and that you leave a comment and a review. And we much appreciate everyone and all the love you put into the show already. We've been growing quickly, and there's no stopping us. So let's jump into this episode with my mentor and friend, Tom Bilyeu. This is the Rich 20-something Podcast with Daniel DiPiazza. Tom Bill, you thank you for being here, man. Dude, it's an honor. That was I don't we're not even gonna cut what you just said and put it at the end. We're gonna put that at the beginning. Let's do and it. Then we're gonna let's, intro let's you. Let's get right in. In fact, it's over. We already did the podcast. <laughs> um so the first thing that comes to mind when when a lot of people hear about you is Quest, right? Yeah, for I mean, sure. That's your calling card. Yeah, that's so. what dropped you onto the scene. Um from from what I understand, that company was a unicorn, is a unicorn. What does that mean, and why is why is Quest so special in comparison to a lot of other things that have been similar over the past couple of years? Yeah, well, the definition of a unicorn company is a startup company that achieves a valuation of over a billion dollars. Um, so we did that, and um, what makes it special is really a few things. One, the product is amazing. It is. Um, our whole thing was metabolic truth, right? We want to make something that's real. And we founded the company for three very different reasons. There's three founders, um, founded it for three very different reasons. But my reason was I grew up in a morbidly obese family. And really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to save my mom and my sister, right? And what does it mean to save somebody? I wanted to see them happy. I wanted to see them live longer. And that happiness factor was a huge thing. And getting to the mind, which is the only way you're going to help somebody be happy. Yeah. There's two ways to do it. You can go straight to the mind or you can go through the body and get them in a virtuous cycle. And you know, I mean, look, dude, you shredded. If you guys haven't looked up this kid, he's fucking, his it's, shape is nuts. Yeah, I, I uh, work out. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say what he's never going to say. Uh, he's in amazing shape, absolutely phenomenal shape. He walks around in phenomenal shape. This is a guy who like a few days after Christmas uh, has... <laughs> Six pack abs like that you would kill for is crazy. <laughs> so he's in ridiculous shape. Thank you. And absolutely, man. And and so you know, you get into this virtuous cycle, right? Where you start working out, you feel better mm -hmm. because you're feeling better, you start making better choices, which then make you look and feel better again, and you just oh, yeah. get into this virtuous cycle. So wanted to help them get into that virtuous cycle. And there's a great quote that I've heard attributed to Mother Teresa. I can't confirm it, but um, no one will act for the many but people will act for the one. Yeah. So you're going to do things for the people that you know and love and, and can see. They're not just a statistic. So my mom and my sister for me were real people. I could show up every day and fight for them and really want good things for them. And, um, and that became the filter for our business was, you know, we were going to do what was adding value to the end customer. So you couple that with the fact that in 2009, when we first started thinking about the company, we didn't launch in 2010, but in 2009, when we were conceiving of it, we understood social media and other people didn't. And so when everyone was saying Facebook is a distraction and you should ban it from work, we were yeah. saying, wait a second, like this is really just a megaphone that gives yeah, people yeah. an opportunity to say something about your company to a global audience within minutes of an interaction with you. Yeah. Now imagine if the interaction they have with you is you added value to their life. You want them on social media. You right. want them screaming from the rooftops. Right. So we just got that, right? Like boil it down to the physics. Like what are people like? People want to connect. People want a relationship, whether it's with a company or with the other people, they want a sense of identity. Identity, and they want to rep what they believe, right? And mm -hmm. so to do that, and this is a big push for us at Impact Theory, for people to rep what they believe, 
Like you've got to make some tangible product stand for something. And we're living in this era where people think big companies are evil. And I'm here to tell you that being big does not make you evil. Being evil makes you evil. And you can be big and good and you can be big and evil, right? Or small and evil. Absolutely. Great point. I know a lot of small, evil things and people. (laughs) Very, very well said. Not you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's a big thing for us is... And this was really something that I was doing back at Quest and learning about and seeing how it impacts people. My thesis at Quest was the product has to stand for something. It can't just be a protein bar or a bag of protein chips. It's got to stand for something. Like, what does it mean to eat a Quest bar, right? And that was a question that was on my mind. And so we had to answer the question, is this a trophy that you give somebody for having six-pack abs? Like, hey, man, well done. You know, after (laughs) Christmas, you're still shredded. Here's a bar. Congratulations. Or was it a catalyst for change? And you could see somebody wanted more. They wanted to do something with their lives. They were game to transform. And then this was the thing that you gave them to encourage that. And that was the path that we took. And, you know, we wanted to build a community. And that that became a big word for us, you know, back in 2010. Community, community. Everybody's saying it now, but this is seven years later. Right. Right? So. Talking about community back then and saying like, hey, we want to build a community. We want it to be supportive. We want to celebrate transformation. We want to show them themselves um, so that we started doing what we called mirror marketing, where they would send us, you know, this is before user-generated content had a name, but they would send us photos that they took yeah. uh, and we would post them. It's early days, Facebook, really, if you yeah, think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, uh, it's so different now in, in some ways. No, definitely. Some ways the same, some ways different. For sure. So that just became a big push. So you put it together, amazing product with a real desire to deliver value and build community and an understanding at just like a tactical level of how to build a community on social media. And it just exploded. Went crazy. And I'm, 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 my guess is that because of the community that you built um, around the product, does that have something to do with why you call it Quest? Yeah, well, we we called it Quest because that was the overall mentality. So right. I think everything came together. Whether you were talking about an individual, the community, it was about what do you want to accomplish, right? Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do with your life? And it was one of those that just, it, it became a better and better name as we went along. I don't think at the word jump, we quite understood just how good it was. Yeah. Um, but it really ended up being perfect. I remember uh, the first time I had a Quest bar, it was uh, 2000. 14 and I was, uh, I was driving cross country. My grandmother was, we wanted to move her to California. She lived in Florida mm. and she lives in the keys. So that's like deep in Florida it's, right. and, and she doesn't fly. So we had to fly down to Florida and drive all the way up from Key Largo, drive all the way out of Florida, which is a 12 hour trip. And then across Florida, all the way to California. Jesus. Not only that, but she has a giant, well, she just recently passed away, but she, uh, she had a giant, blue and gold macaw, which is a huge parrot. Wow. And so we had her and this macaw in the back seat fl- <laughs> driving. Sounds like the beginning to like a, a oh, comedy. Here. It was for some people, not for, it was <laughs> fucked. It was crazy. And her and my mom were just going at it, but we stopped at the gas station and, uh, I got these, these protein bars. I'm like, ah, oh, there wasn't, there wasn't much to get. I'm like, what's this quest bar? I'll try this. And we all, all three of us had one. I think it was like the cookies and cream flavor or whatever mm-hmm. flavor it was. And it was like, for the and during the trip, it was like the first fifteen minutes of silence. Wow! And then, and then we said it's pretty good, <laughs> and I was so thankful that everyone was happy enough to shut up for fifteen minutes because it was bickering, but it was great. I'm glad um, we could help. <laughs> yeah. Quest, feed your body, shut your family up. <laughs> um, nice. And, uh, well, well, we'll work on it. We'll tweak it. Um, I'm I'm curious though. What do you think? Do you think that just I mean the community obviously had a huge impact and, and 
the product is superior. But would it work now? Would it, would it work if you tried the same way? No, 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 definitely not. And when people say, you know, that there's a lot of luck involved in building a big company, I'll change the word luck to timing. Right. So you you really do have to get the timing right. And now it's been done, right? So now people well, yeah. get how to leverage social media. They know how to build communities. Um, so it wouldn't be as unique. It would be a lot harder yeah. to stand out now. And especially because Quest already exists. Right. Coming into the space, like how would you differentiate yourself? But like, there's something else that is the right time for, there, there's always the right time for something. Oh, for sure. You know? for, for sure. sure. Like, Someone else could come into, I mean, I assume that the nutrition like bar space is still extremely competitive, but there's something out there. That you can do, especially if you broaden it beyond bars and just go right. into the you know the health and fitness arena as a whole. Yeah, there's all kinds of gaps and yeah. opportunities in there for sure. And you know you can really, if you watch what Quest is doing, I'm not there on a day to day basis anymore. I'm in the founder role now, but um, if you watch them over the coming months and years, you're going to see like they see the holes, right? Yeah. They know right where to go, and they're going to be developing products to um, match and deliver against that. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone in your audience is don't ever think that like the moment has passed, right? People say that every generation. Right, right. Oh man, Same, the moment right. is, if only I had I been started here. Facebook six years ago. Right. Do your own thing now. Exactly. There's always a time where, I mean, what's the first, the best time to start a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time to plant it is now. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, and so that is still a game of saying like, you're going to have to wait 20 years and it's a very true adage, but now let's flip the script and say that there is a, a multi-billion dollar business right now staring you in the face, I promise. Yeah. And yeah. like, I'll give you one for free. And this dude, can we, everybody pay attention right now. At Rich 20 something does something that I love so much, I can't even begin to tell you, which is that he will give you 25 business ideas. Yeah. All you ask is an email, right? Yeah. So yeah, you give him your email address. Homeboy will give you 25 business ideas. 25. Okay. I actually love that. That's no bullshit. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Now, the worst news is you're not going to do it. You're, you're, you may go look at them. You may trade. You actually are going to begrudgingly trade your email, which is hysterical, by the way. But you're going to begrudgingly trade your email. Okay. He's going to give you 25 ideas that will work if you execute, and you're not going to execute. And that's what freaks me out. But right now, I want to talk to the 1% of you that will execute against that. And I want to tell you right now, I'm going to give you an idea. And that idea is there's a billion-dollar business for the person that can create ultra-high quality, okay? The word ultra is very important to me. Right. Ultra high quality direct to garment printing. So first of all, if you can do that, if you have that technology, I'm on a mission right now. It's the second time today I've put this out into the world. If you can do that, I want you to contact me at Tom Bilyeu because I'm either going to buy you, invest in you, or mentor you or something because I need that in my life. No one will do it. No one's going to call you though. Oh, there's one There's one out person there. out there. There's one percent. So reach out because that's that's a, a huge opportunity, but it's got to be ultra high quality. So don't con like you will turn me off so aggressively if you know that you have a middle of the road or a slightly better version. <laughs> yeah, don't send me that because I've seen everything there is in the game. Like I'm I'm going hard for that cake on this one, um, but I'll, I'll plan to flag and say the person that cracks that it's it's big, it's big money. Well, yeah, because we want. I think now because there's so much. Uh, to choose from, we want we want to have our own options. We want to be able to make our own stuff, right? 100%. Um, it's interesting too that there's no, I mean, ultra ultra high quality printing on garments is a great idea, but it's also not a new idea, right? This is we're just repivoting and improving and changing ideas that are already out there, and I think that 
I think that people are scared that something that seems to have been done before won't work. And they're, so they're looking for a, like a fresh, something that's never been done. Yeah. Is that, where do you start when you, when you try to think about business ideas, do you start from something that's already been done and try to make an improvement or a tweak, or do you start from ground zero? So I start from what's a pain point that I have, right? right? And then I assess the size of the market. Right. So um, the reason that I'm so hell bent on the direct to garment printing is think about what's happening right now. We're living through the entrepreneurial revolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've never seen ever a generation like the one that we have now where they all want to self-determine their lives. Mm -hmm. They don't want to work for anybody. I mean, almost nobody growing up now wants a job. Generation Y forward, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are so hell-bent to be their own boss. Yeah. You've got this whole movement of uh, self-branding. You've got this whole movement of, God, speak your truth. I hate those words so much you can't imagine. Live your but, passion, speak your truth. Right? So everybody has like some message that they're trying to get out there. Now, on top of that, you've had generation after generation of this amazing content being created in the form of movies, books, all that. And there's like this whole self-reflexive thing of wanting to have a quote from your fa favorite character. It's called repping what you believe in my vernacular. So somebody's going to crack this and give people the opportunity to rep what they believe, to have their favorite quote from Yoda or from Han Solo or you know, whatever it is, the matrix, if you're me, um, yeah. you know, you're going to have like something that represents you and it's a one-off. You don't have to invest in something big. You just have to be creative. And now all of a sudden you can wear your favorite Instagram post that you put out there, your favorite that. meme, all that yeah. stuff. And if you can get the cost down enough, you can now take that stuff into the real world. And every now and then you'll see some big movement where somebody will get it, like when they were doing the names, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, oh God, I'm not going to think of one off the top of my head, but they had the names of the Friends characters. Yeah, I could do yeah. one that said Neo and Trinity and Morpheus and yeah, anybody that knows the, the Matrix. big letters and then right. the kale and spinach. Exactly. And then, you know. So if you're of that world, then you get it. But those have to be mass produced. Yeah. Those aren't one-offs. And right now, if you're doing them as a one-off, they look terrible. Yeah. So the person that can basically make memes real in the real world, wearable, it's a big deal. Have you seen, um, have you seen the, the, like the car, the garment company rage on? Have you seen that? No, I'll show you. It's actually, I've ordered some shirts from them. The quality is, is pretty decent. It's not, it's not, not ultra, ultra high, high quality, quality yes. but, but I will say this, they're really good. They understand the culture and at least they understand. Mm. Let me see if I can get some. While uh, you look that up, I'll, yeah. I'll finish the answer to your original question. Do I look for a totally open playing field or do I, um, you know, want to improve something? So, um, when we launched Quest Bars, we were launching into a field that I think had 1,600 uh, products between brands and flavors Fuck, in a declining market. So saturated and declining is like the worst place to go where anyone would tell you, you, you know, Peter Thiel's idea of zero to one. Uh, you're not looking for incremental improvement. You're looking to go from doesn't exist to exists. Yeah. So what I want people to see is that even in that space, we created a zero to one bar because we we were the first protein bar that didn't have sugar as an added ingredient. Yep. So and that wow. tasted good. Yeah. How about that? Um, so it was a zero to one moment, which is how we gained so much attention. And with ultra high quality printing direct to garment, it would be a zero to one moment. So even though there are a lot of people doing direct to garment printing, they all suck universally. Yeah. So it's degrees of suck. <laughs> so if you could break free of the degrees of suck problem and actually put out something where it was like, holy hell, like this is ultra high quality. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic, beautiful print. And I can do it as a one-off for the same price 
as a normal t-shirt. Yeah, because the problem is it's going to be $150 right. if it's not. Or, you know, more. or more. So you have to buy in bulk and all that. So it's one of those, it would be a zero to one moment. So I do look for zero to one moments, but it doesn't have to be in a in a space where nobody's ever done it. Like I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Right. I'm trying to um, fill that gap that exists, right? So see that there's a market. I know there's a market for t-shirts, right? Do you have arms? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now it's just a question of, is there a, a big enough difference between what's being done today and quite frankly, what's perceived as possible, but what's really possible? Like, yeah. let's all answer this question. And this is what we had to answer at Quest. You've had however many years of protein bars, let's say 30 years of protein bars, and no one has made one that tastes amazing and has no sugar. Why? Now, I play a game called No Bullshit, What Would It Take? So No Bullshit, What Would It Take to release a protein bar that tastes great and had no sugar? Our first answer was, it can only have three days shelf life. Because if you let me only have three days shelf life, I can do it. Yeah, because sugar, one of the things, not only makes t- things taste great, it keeps them from rotting. Yeah, for sure. So it it binds water, reduces water activity, which is your big enemy in food. So, option number two, though, we realized was reinvent the way that the product is made. I heard this on Noah's podcast. Tell us, tell us about that. So that was a, a big thing. So our big breakthrough wasn't so much the formulation. I'm sure other people had formulated a bar that tasted good, but it you know rotted after three days or it just wouldn't produce on the equipment, which is what everybody told us. So at that point, everybody else goes, well, I guess it can't be done. But there is a brutally obvious solution staring you in the face. And that is design your own equipment. Well, isn't that really cost prohibitive? Um, it, it's brutally difficult. It's terrifying. It is expensive, but you have to ask, is my idea good enough? Because here's the truth. You can always find money. Yeah. The willingness to do something meaningful with that money, the ability to convince people to give you that money, like those are the hard things, but being able to identify the opportunity and then get other people excited, you should be able to do that for sure. And so that's where we were. And, and honestly, leading up to that point, we were just making the bars by hand. So you yeah. can prove that there's a market. So we knew that people were interested in the bar. So then it just became a question of scale. Um, we were in a fortunate position. We didn't have to raise capital. But if we had needed to raise capital, being able to show our growth trajectory when making the bars by hand, I think would have given people a lot of security that with, a, you know, I mean, compared to the revenue they do now, a relatively small um, cash infusion would have a massive impact. I don't even like asking questions about, um, a lot of the questions I get, I think, I think are the wrong types of questions. People will say, well, how, let's say you did need to, you know, get a, get an investment. How, well, how did you raise the money or what did you do? Just fucking do it. Like just figure it out. I know that sounds really callous. It doesn't. And so I'll but, put it to you this way. Let's say that you're asking me that question. Yeah. I'm not and, asking you that question. I'm saying I'm not going to ask you right, that, but no, I hate for when sure, people ask but that. People ask all the time. So yeah. let's say anyone's asking me that question. My first question is, how much revenue are you doing off the samples you're making by hand? And do you know what I know the answer is going to be? Zero. Because they've paralyzed themselves, yeah. thinking about a problem that doesn't yet exist. Prove there's a market. Right. Right. So go out, make them by hand, which is what we did. We had rolling pins and handheld knives. actually did it yourself. We actually did it ourselves. We ran a software company by day. And then at night we were making protein bars by hand. And it's a gut check, right? It's a, am I willing to stay up till 11, 12 at night, sweating my ass off making these bars? Cause it's brutally difficult because we have to do it by hand and it's not easy. Um, but do I want it badly enough? Yes or no. So if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, look, 
we're growing. This is really working, but I can't get somebody to give me the cash infusion to keep growing. Right. You now have the best problem in the world, right? And then it's just a game of, okay, you have to get good at pitching and you have to learn how to convince people to give you money. But trust me, the money's out there. So you just yeah. don't have the skill set to pitch yet. But that, that same question is very different from somebody who's already gone from zero to one and is proving the market out and is just throwing sweat equity at it versus the person who's paralyzed themselves and they're looking for an excuse. And here's how I differentiate between an, somebody with an employee mindset and somebody with an entrepreneurial mindset. If you hit an obstacle and you relax and you think, oh man, the fire alarm's going off amazing. I get to go home early today. <laughs> By definition, you have an employee's mindset. <laughs> if on the other hand, the smoke alarm goes off, uh, the building crumbles to the ground, you know, whatever horrible thing happens, you get really pissed because you now know how much harder you're going to have to work <laughs> because it never once occurs to you to stop. Yeah. You have an entrepreneur's mindset. I yeah. don't care whether you're a parent, whether you're an employee, whatever. You can own your own business and have an employee's mindset and, yeah. and you will go nowhere. That's an important distinction too. You, they're, it doesn't, they're not mutually exclusive. For sure. Yeah. It's really interesting, man, because I think that a lot of people poke holes and then they try to look through the cracks for light to see if there's like, to see if a solution comes easily to them. Mm. And they're like, well, well, if, the, if we don't have the machinery, well, then I guess the bar can't be done. Well, you're looking for a reason for it to not work. Right. You know, but the real answer is design your own machinery. Oh, well, that's hard. Yeah. Well, then, and, and here, honestly, man, the, I remember when we first started talking about it, I thought my partner was out of his mind. He was like, we need to be our own manufacturers. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is such, like, that would be such an arduous undertaking. <laughs> but once you run out of options and realize yeah. this is it, then it's like, yeah, the, the concept of not doing it never crossed any of our minds, right. even though it really did seem crazy at first. So you've got to get really good at, even if you reject an idea at first, don't throw it away. Because if you find that you've exhausted ideas, then you have to go to the ones that seem crazy yeah. and make them work. And if, if there is a market, right? If there's not a market, you got to know when to give up, right? right. Anybody that says, there's a great quote Well, there's a market Dog. for bars. Come on. We know yeah, this. It's obvious. Sure. You know? Did you read Shoe Dog? Uh, no, I didn't read Shoe Dog. Got to read it. It's amazing. It's the tale of Nike written by um, Phil Knight. Amazing book. And in it, he says, anybody that tells you never to give up is a charlatan. And sometimes you need to know when to quit. Sometimes knowing the precise moment to give up is genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but he follows it up by saying, but never give up on your grand goal, right? So whatever that is, you may give up on something small. You may abandon a path. Just don't ever abandon what you're actually trying to accomplish. So what I tell people is don't give up on the goal. Abandon a path. Abandon a strategy. You you. Right. hundred percent. But not an objective. Exactly. That's interesting. Well, yeah. And, and people see a strategy as an objective and then they abandon the entire project. Right. What do you think about, what do you think about these? Not for me. No, thanks. Uh, so this is, this is Ray John and they, they do. You know, it's funny. He's showing Kiss. <laughs> so my next door neighbor is the lead singer of Kiss. Oh, which is it you have to respect. No, it's um, Paul Stanley. Oh, it's, it's, well, I don't know. Paul was the lead one. Yes. You yes, can tell. I think so. Generational gap. Um, so they have, so, so you can create your own stuff on your phone and they have all these different, as you can tell, this is very much branded after mm. the generation. They have all these interesting different designs. The, the, so that's all, or at least mostly what's called sublimation, Yeah, um, which they dye onto the fabric. I'd be really curious to see what their print quality it's is. It's not good. I have some. Okay. It's not yeah. good. It, it's, that, that's it's, my gut. And here's what really pisses me off. So they make it look good on the website, right? Oh, yeah. Super vibrant, super really colorful. Nice. Um, by yeah. the way, let's back up because the, everything is horseshit except for what you just went past. 
This pisses me off. Scroll back up. Which I one? can't believe uh, one more. Scroll right there. Which shirt in that line do you think fills me with rage? <laughs> there, so, so I'll, you can't see this if you're watching. Uh, I'll put it. Maybe I'll put a clip on. But it says, "I just can't," and it has the Nike symbol upside down. Who would wear that? Like, who would subtly reinforce that notion in their mind? That is so crazy. Like, you get what you focus on. And yes, it's funny. I get it. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. But, oh, dear God. Yeah. To reinforce that notion yeah. in your head over and over and over You're is branding so yourself crazy. With it. Yes. They, that's so crazy. Don't brand yourself yeah. as a lovable loser, please. <laughs> like, that's just so criminal. The quality is not good. Um, but this is, but people, but the, you know, this is proof of concept. People want it. Yeah. You know? There's no question that people want this stuff. And this is following, just following somebody. Me. Somebody has to. Do you hear about that kid? There was a, I think he was like 14 years old. I'm embarrassed that I don't remember his name. Um, but he invented, when he was 14, he invented a test for prostate cancer that was something like 300 times more accurate and a thousand times cheaper than what was on the market. A 14 year old, 14, one, four like as in probably in his freshman year in high school. And he had to go convince, I think it was, God, was it USC? He had to convince a university to give him access to their lab. Like all the things that like grown men would right. be like intimidated to do. To get, like grown men are trying to get grants to do this. Yes. You know? And he did it. And look, I'm not saying the kid's not, you know, gifted. He's a really bright kid, but everything is working against you when you're a 14 year old kid, yeah, no right? Takes you seriously. No one takes you seriously. Everyone's going to say, drive, it can't be done. have no money. Right. If it could have been done, it would have been done. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to take public transportation to get to the lab or get your parents to take you. Um, but he had the, the guts to believe in it. And it's, it's that audacity of being just naive enough to have no sense that you can't do it. And I think that people have to cultivate that. And I think if we had known at quest, how hard it was going mm. to be to pull off what we were trying to do, I don't think we would have done it. And, and I'll tell you right now. So there's two sides to Impact Theory, which is my new company. Um, and side one is companies. So we want to incubate um, and help bring to life mission-based companies that are really making the world a better place. And then on the other side is content. And I don't just mean social content. I mean films. I mean comic books. I mean TV shows. Um, and we're planting a flag. In 50 years, we're going to be bigger than Disney. Now... That is one of those things where I'm glad I don't know what it's going to take. <laughs> I'm to glad I don't big. know exactly what that means. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so like, but I'm, I'm willing to say it out loud. I'm willing to repeat it often. I'm willing to plant a flag, say it on a podcast where people can hold me to it, where I've posted on our website exactly how we plan to do it, broke it down by phase. Because what I want, what I want to do is um, when you call your shots and you hit them, you gain a lot of credibility. Yeah, you do. Conor and if you McGregor. don't have the guts, exactly. If you don't have the guts to say it, then, you know, A, you're never going to get the credit and B, you're not going to have the nice pressure that yeah. comes with saying it out loud, uh, which I think is incredibly usable. Um, and then you never know how people are going to help you. So as soon as you start saying something out loud, like I don't like to make it woo-woo and say, I throw it out into the universe. I yeah. don't. I throw it out to people. Yeah. And people come back and say, oh, wow, I can actually help you with that, right? So yeah. why am I telling people I want the ultra high quality? Right now, somewhere there's a kid that has like a, 
an inkjet printer at home and he's going to figure this out, right? Because he hears this challenge and he realizes this is his way to connect with at rich 20 something. That he's going to blow you away because you had that one crazy guest on who thinks he's going to be bigger than Disney (laughs) and he's going to show you that he can figure this out, right? So, and it's always somebody crazy enough to believe it and the only reason it's young people, by the way, and I hope that there are some old motherfuckers listening to this podcast because the only reason that it's young people is because they they're not jaded. Yeah. Like they believe they can do it. And you can say it's because they're stupid and I'm willing to embrace that. Then may I be stupid forever. I was playing with a, with one of my nephews, uh, one of my girlfriend's nephews. And uh, I was playing a game on my phone and he looks like he goes, I could code something like that. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, and he's 11. Right. And uh, he doesn't know how to code, but he's familiar enough with the idea of it that he's like, I can figure that out. And me, I'm like, fuck, I'm like 30. You know, I, I could learn this. It might be more challenging for me though. Right. But he's so naive in a good way that he's a, he knows I could pick that up if I wanted to. Right. And that's, I think, a, a really important part of the entrepreneurial journey. You have to have some of that. And now can we say the ugly part of that? Yeah. He probably won't. Yeah, right. He's probably being young and arrogant. Sure. Life is going to slap him in the mouth <laughs> and he's going to stop. Yeah. And that's what happens to people, right? So life teaches you that you're incapable. Life teaches you that um, you're not good enough. Life teaches you that this isn't possible. And what becomes beautiful and amazing and empowering and the thing that gets us all excited is when you watch somebody take loss after loss after loss, shot after shot, the most exciting MMA fights ever are when the guy, his arm is broken, his face is so bloody, he's limping and he keeps fucking going. It's like, what are you doing? Like learn to stop. And they just go, 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 go. And at that point, honestly, win or lose, you want to stand. I have the chills in my face. You know, when you get the chills in your face because you're really feeling something like when you see somebody fight like that with everything they've got and they refuse to give to bend to break when they just keep going, moving forward, always aggressive, like you just know at some point the world relents to that person, right? Yeah. The world relents for sure. hundred percent. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those special people that they say they can code it. They can't. The world slaps them in the mouth and they see, oh shit, I can't. Yeah, yeah. And instead of going, well, I'm going to retreat now to something I'm good at so I can feel good about myself again. They go, fuck that. I'm going to learn to code. I'm going to bend the world to my will. I'm going to keep pushing forward until I can do this. And I'm willing to accept the loss. I'm willing to accept the defeat. I'm willing to accept the taste of blood in my mouth, blurry vision, all of it, fatigue, everything. And I'm going to keep going because that's what I want. And I know what I want. I know where I'm going. And I know the steps that stand between me and getting there. And I'm willing to traverse it. I'm willing to suffer, right? What I think about in my own life is what am I willing to break myself in half to accomplish? If I'm willing to break myself in half for it, I'll do it. If I know that I'm not, if I know that it doesn't mean that much to me, that I'll back off when it gets hard, I don't even play with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's, because it's, it's wasted energy to do something that you know you're not going to break yourself in half for, right? For sure. Oh man, how do you, how do you make those decisions between what's worth it and what's not? I mean, do you just know intrinsically? I don't think you do. And I think it starts like this. You walk by a Nintendo and it gives you a good feeling. Mm. And you think, man, it's too bad that only losers play <laughs> Nintendo and I want to get rich. Yeah. So I'm not going to play Nintendo. And then you're walking down the street and out of the corner of your eye, you see a comic book shop and you get a good feeling. And you think, man, it's too bad only geeks read comic books because it would be awesome if I could make a living out of comic books. 
And then you walk down the street and you see a poster for this movie coming out and it's based on a video game. Yeah. It's based on a comic book and you realize, holy shit, I missed my chance to get rich because in me, I knew what I wanted to be around and I didn't listen. Yeah. And so I think what people have to understand is the gap between interest and mastery. Everyone thinks that a passion is going to be handed to them. That like you were born with a passion. Find your passion. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's born with a passion. Not going to find shit. But what you're going to do is develop a passion. You're going to take that interest and you're going to say, I really like video games. I really like comic books. I really like movies. I want to be around these things. So now how do I monetize them? And then you have to do the hard work of figuring out business and what it means to monetize and how you identify a niche and a community and how you build that and how you market and add value to people's lives. But at the end of the day, if you're listening to this, I have one mandate. Demand of yourself that you make money doing what you love. That's it. You're going to make money, right? You're going to show up at a job at a minimum. Do it anyway. So you just make one additional demand of yourself that it's in service of something you believe in and that you love. That's it. Once you flip that switch and it's a do or die moment, it's a burn the ships at the shore, like I'll be homeless before I'll do something that I don't believe in, then it will actually happen. And I had that crisis moment. So before we started rolling, or maybe you guys recorded it, I don't know, I was talking about my cousin and I didn't have advice for him because I've never had terminal cancer. So I don't know what to tell you and I'm not going to pretend that I do. So I'm just going to shut my mouth. But I will tell you, I know what it means to be emotionally bankrupt, to not believe in what you're doing and to have to face poverty over continuing to chase money and choosing poverty and saying, I'll never be trapped by money. So because I've done it, I I have no compunctions telling people, stop. That was before Quest. That was before Quest. What what happened to to make that? So we had a technology company. I got so fed up. I walked into my partners and I said, guys, I quit. I can't do this anymore. Um, I handed back the equity and I said, look, I'm not crossing the finish line. So I don't think I should get anything for this. You handed back the equity? I handed back the equity. Shit. And um, they had hired me originally as a copywriter and gave me equity through sweat equity. And so it just seemed gross to me to then bail before we had crossed the finish line. Um, and still expect something for that. So I said, look, I'm not the guy that's going to sue you. Don't worry. Like you could sell the company for a billion dollars tomorrow. I'm well aware of what my decision is. And I walked away and I was going to go force myself to make money doing something that I love. And as I was driving home, pulling into my driveway, my partners called me and they said, come out to dinner with us. And they gave me what is now a somewhat famous speech. And they said, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. And that was what I needed to hear. I needed to reconnect to something other than the money and refocus on the brotherhood and the friendship. Um, and, and so we dove back in and all agreed that we all felt the same, that we wanted to do something that we were passionate about. So we ended up selling that company and starting this crazy new venture that was going to be built around adding value to people's lives. It was going to be something that we were passionate about, that we would drive hard for, that we were willing to break ourselves in half to bring it to fruition. And that crazy little company was called Quest Nutrition. Shit, man. <sighs> and just to really cap it off to all of those listening that think I'm crazy. Well, you are. The company, Quest, that we founded after deciding, I don't care if it makes more money. We're not going to think about money. We're going to think about value creation. That company made more in a day 
than our previous company made annually. <laughs> so I'm telling you, you're living through the social revolution right now. The world wants to connect with you. They want a relationship. They want to believe in you. They want authenticity. They want to know that you're for real. They want to know that you break yourself and have to bring value to them. And if you can show that, they fucking feel it. Like they're humans. Human beings connect. We're yeah. talking about neuronal synchronicity earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know if I'm for real right now, yeah, if I'm yeah, full of yeah. shit, because you feel something. Yeah. And then as you go and search me out on the web, you're, it's either going to reinforce or crumble. And if you listen to podcast after podcast, you meet me, you catch me in an airport in New York. These are all real stories, right? You catch me in the airport, off guard. Am I who I seem like I am now or am I totally different? You overhear a conversation. Does it sound like this or does it sound like something else, right? Like we're living in a world where you can't hide. Yeah. We're living in a world where if, if you've got the audacity to put yourself out there, people are going to pick you apart from oh, yeah. six different angles. Oh, yeah. So my thing was, I'm going to build my persona around the exact things that if you woke me up in the middle of the night, kicked me in the head, and then asked me questions, <laughs> in a dazed state, I would still give you the same answers because they're true to the core of my being. Damn. <sighs> it's, interesting. it's interesting that I think you've keyed into something that only is now becoming part of public awareness with personal branding. Sir. Authenticity is huge. And I think that because of the fact that we're really utilizing social media better than we ever have before, there are a lot of um, charlatans who are being kind of snaked out, right? Uh, and a lot of companies and then individuals who are different online, public facing than they are in, in their private lives. Sir. Do you think that it's hard to maintain that cognitive distance of being someone else, someone publicly and then a different person privately? Is that... Is that hard to do or do you think people successfully master that and just do it for years? I think people do master it, but I think it is hard. I think cognitive dissonance is always weird. I think companies can feel it. Um, and I also think there's such a thing as just good intention, bad execution, right? right. Okay. And there have been a thousand times in my life where I've fallen prey to that, where I really want to be X, Y, Z, and I'm trying, trying, but the world is just, just not feeling yeah. what's actually in my heart, yeah. right? And so you have to discern between good idea, bad execution, versus I'm actually a dick and the world has <laughs> accurately assessed my yeah. dickness, right? Yeah. So self-awareness. Yeah. And and there's like there's learning curves, man. Like I am still in my mind, like I come to the world of being an entrepreneur with absolute humility because I fuck up way more than I get it right. Way more than I get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I see myself as that bloody fighter who looks like he's losing, who's got the broken arm and the bloody face and, you know, is aspirating blood and has blood in his eyes. And you think he's never going to look the same. What is happening? <laughs> but just keeps going. That right? nose is never going to be the same, John. Yes. So that, that's my shtick, right? Just keep moving forward. Be aggressive. Keep going. I, you know, um, when I was listening in on the other podcast you did when we were here at the studio last mm -hmm. time, uh, our friend Noah asked you an interesting question. And he yes, said, Noah Kagan, right, he's, he's the man. Um, talk about a guy who can get bloody too, right? He does mm -hmm. not give a fuck. No, he Noah's really amazing. doesn't care. I, I was, uh, I was uh, talking to him. I was pitching a client for, for some services. I'm like, hey, I'm going to send you this proposal and you tell me what you think. He ripped my ass apart. He was like, if you send that, you dumb motherfucker. But, um, <laughs> so he's, he's no holes like barred no like you. Yeah. Uh, but you talked about an interesting kind of moment where you said that you've been working, the, the idea of making a hundred million dollars really captivated you. Right. And then it, it, something else changed once you approached that number. What, can you talk to a little bit about, about the story of, of like personal wealth and how your mindset has maybe changed around it as it's increased for you? Yeah. So the people misunderstand money. Okay, just like fundamentally. And it's actually not money. They misunderstand themselves. They misunderstand what they actually want. What people want is fulfillment, right? right. So if 
you could make somebody feel that elation they feel when they're in love for the first time and they feel that person loves them back and it's just totally equal. And that person would give anything to be around you and you feel the same about them. Like there's nothing better than that. And that's just brain chemistry, right? Yeah, it has yeah. nothing to do with money. What people want is to feel good. And they think that, wow, if I had, be, and, and here's the truth. What they know is when they buy something, it does feel good. Right. And they know if I could buy my mom a house, like that would feel good. If I could buy her a big house, a fancy car, make me feel good. And it is all 100% true. Buying a fancy car will make you feel good. Buying a big house will make you feel good. Yeah, yeah. But it makes you feel good the way a bowl of ice cream makes you feel good. <laughs> it's momentary happiness. Yeah. It's transient. It will go away. Yeah. The hedonic reset point. So you buy the big house and all of a sudden that's normal, baby. Yeah. My house is comically large. It's really big. And it, it has a studio inside of it. It does have a studio inside of it. And it is normal to me. I don't even think about it anymore. And so you really have to stop and like, A, remind yourself to be grateful for that. But B, recognize that all the things you thought money were, was going to bring you, it brings you something completely different. And if you want fulfillment, Fulfillment is about being something, becoming something. It's born of suffering. It is not born of having a cool car because you want a cool car because of the way you want other people to look at you. Right. And the right? way that will make you feel when you think that they look at you like that. Exactly. So it's tenuous at best. And it hinges entirely on them actually looking at you that way. So now you're somebody else's pawn because they can turn on you at any minute. So that's never going to bring you lasting fulfillment. It's not stable. doesn't make you feel strong and rooted. But becoming somebody, setting your sights on gaining certain skill sets of feeling a certain way of being calm, um, being you know full of gratitude, like all the things from a neurochemical standpoint that we read as good, like though none of money can't touch those things. Um, so working on what I call framework happiness is the key to all that stuff, and money can't give you framework happiness. However, money's more powerful than you think, and money will do amazing things. And money is what I think of as the great facilitator. And I think that Bill Gates is going to cure malaria. Think about that. Cure malaria yeah. because he has access to resources. I think that Elon Musk is actually going to get us to Mars. He's going to do it because he has access to resources. So having money is, is just insanely powerful, but you have to know what you want to do with money in order for it to really be effective. Because if you want money to have a big house and a fast car, you're going to quit because it's going to be so hard and your limbs are going to be broken. Like, take a fighter, right? This is a beautiful example of people who will go to the most absurd extremes to get great at the sport and to make money. Yeah. They usually come from low-income places. Fighters come from nothing most times. Yep. They're desperate. They've got a family to take care of. There are people in their minds that they want to provide for. They want to do something amazing. They want their kids to look up to them. I mean, that's what's driving them. And they need money. Yeah. You're not going to see a lot of billionaire champions. Why? Because they're not willing to take the shots to the face. Yeah. So GSP says hard to wake up on satin sheets and be a champ. Yeah. You know, so well said, you know? so well said. <laughs> so, but it's easy to work up to, to, for me to wake up. I've never worked harder than I'm working now with impact theory and I've never been richer. So, because I know what I'm trying to do with the money. Yeah. Like I know what I'm trying to accomplish. I know the impact I want to have on the world. It's not a mistake that we named the company impact theory. This is literally, and it's also not a mistake that we use the word theory. 
This is my theory of how to have impact on the world, that commerce is a key part of it, that getting access to resources is a key part of it, that it has to be a self-sustaining engine. It has to make money, yeah, yeah. right? Money is the lifeblood of a company, but you don't live for your blood, right? I am not a, a support machine for the creation of red and white blood cells. That's not why I exist. But if I don't create red and white blood cells, I can't go do the things that I want to do. So I fully understand the power of money, but I recognize that the pleasure elements of money are purely bowl of ice cream style money. But what it facilitates can be amazing, can be certainly life-altering, can be globally impactful, can allow us to control our own destiny. Like all the things that that you on your um the the what is it, the better nature of our angels, totally brutalizing that. But when you're, you know, thinking in the the right way that's focused on really delivering value to the world then it really has massive, massive impact on that side. But that's not why people chase it. And that's how they get themselves in trouble. So you had to, but you had to make that, that cognitive switch and that realization. I had to completely abandon money. I had to get to rock bottom and say, okay, I just lost eight and a half years of my life chasing money. I'm never doing this again. It's what Pete Carroll calls a life philosophy. So I don't chase money. Tom Billiard does not chase money, period. Wouldn't most people say though, it's easy for you to say, because you got money. Yeah, but what they have to understand is, I didn't have money until I made that decision. Interesting. So I was making, look, that's a little unfair. I was making more money than I'd ever made. I had a six-figure income, but I wasn't rich. No way. Um, I didn't have a ton of money saved up in the bank. Um, I don't even think I had a year's worth of savings in the bank. And with that, I said, I'm not chasing money anymore. I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to build something that matters. It's going to be um, you know, based on value. Who's at the software company? That's when we were at the software company. Right. And I realized I just can't do this anymore. Um, so I was willing to do that before I had you know, a successful exit. So that was me literally walking into the abyss, handing back the equity, knowing I'd never seen anything for that, cutting off my salary. How old were you at the time? Must have been 32. Shit, okay. You have time, guys. Yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. And don't, I mean, please learn from my lesson. A fool never learns. A smart man learns from his mistakes. And a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So learn from my mistakes. I'm just promising you, make yourself the mandate that you're going to make a lot of money, but all in service of something that you believe in to your core, something that you love, something that you want to be around, something that adds value because it works. It works. It's actually the best way to make money. It's, a, it's an interesting shift. Les Brown has an interesting quote. He says, uh, you know, what did he say? They say, money isn't the key to happiness, but everyone wants to find out for themselves. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, here's why money will be around forever and why people will always chase money. It's the same reason people will chase fame. Money and fame are real. Yeah. Money and fame have real impact. You can do things with fame that you can't do without it. And that's so plain to see. You can't ever talk somebody out of it. Like, adoration feels good, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it, it is so meaningful. Like follow um, The Rock. Oh, he's, and he's amazing. Amazing. Seems like a, just an incredible human being. And what he does with this fame is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he goes to children's hospitals and he surprises fans on their birthday. And I know what that must feel like for him when they lose their minds <laughs> that he's just walked in the door. Yeah. Imagine being famous is like, everybody greeting you the way a dog greets you, right? (laughs) And how badass would that be? Like everyone is just like, oh my God, they can't believe that you're here. The way I liken fame is it's like being um, a national monument. (laughs) Now imagine right now, 
if the door to your studio creaked open and the Statue of Liberty walked in. You'd be like, what the fuck? Oh my God, like we got a selfie. You, it's this. you. Right? So fame is real. Yeah. You can get better seats at a restaurant. Uh, you can attract um, a significant other way more easily, right? It's, yeah. it, it is clout. It is transferable clout. Money is the same thing. It's currency yeah. for sure. Money is the same thing, right? So it actually buys things. It facilitates things. Better healthcare. Um, you never have to worry about money. Like money solves money problems, right? Yeah. Um, it buys fancy things. Uh, people treat you differently for sure. People want things from you. Interesting. You invest, people treat. Right? What, what are some ways that people treat you differently without, without even if they? What What are some ways? Some of the most striking ways you've experienced that. That's interesting. Money's credibility. Huh. Just money be- is credibility. So the. The day, like if you've never um, heard of Quest, then okay, you think I'm just a guy. Yeah. If you've heard of Quest and know it's successful, then it's like, oh, wow. If you've heard of Quest, know it's successful, know it was valued at over a billion dollars and know that I liquidated some of it, all of a sudden it's like, oh How shit. How you doing? It's not only, that, there is that as well. And then there's people that want something from you. But anybody who says all of a sudden everybody wants something from you, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, Beautiful people are always going to be beautiful people. And if there aren't beautiful people in your life that don't give a shit about your money, you're hanging out with the wrong people. So there were the vast majority of people that I know in my life were totally unfazed. Um, (laughs) But it, you know, I mean, and that's what you love about them, right? Is that that was never a factor. They weren't uh, disrespectful. I was so poor for so long and nobody was disrespectful. Like they were excited to see if I could pull it off, right? Because I've been making crazy proclamations like I'm going to be bigger than (laughs) Disney my entire life. Um, So, but it's credibility. Yeah, that's like, it's such a metric in our life. It's true. Like think about how many people want to know Trump's net worth, right? And it will mean something to them. Why right. should it? It shouldn't mean anything. Yeah. But it's proof to you that he was able to do something, right? It's proof. Oh God. Well, I guess his, you know, his ideas do work. So people listen a lot more closely because I've built a billion dollar brand. There's just no two ways about it. That's so funny, man. Because you know, I uh, was talking to my girlfriend about the guests we have on the show. I'm like, we have Tom Billy from Quest, and like, she's maybe had a Quest bar. She doesn't know what a unicorn company is. She doesn't care. So she's like, cool, babe. I'm like, no, it's actually really cool because like this, that, the audience is gonna love it because this, that. She's like, good job. I'm like, no, babe, it's like, it's pretty, it's like fucking dope. Like, and she's like, all right, nice. So, but she doesn't make the association of, she doesn't care about that shit. Right. So it doesn't have the same amount of influence on her. That's awesome. But for someone who does, it changes the way they look at you. For sure. You know? Um, So that's interesting. And, and I I imagine that as being like a, a real famous person, like The Rock, it's even harder because he's instantly recognizable. For sure. You know? He, he can't wait. He's also fucking huge. He can't wait. Walk around yeah. without. There's people. no blending in. For There's the no blending in yeah. for him. Yeah. Money is like six pack abs. Yeah. It's proof. Like if you're going to give somebody advice about lifting or diet and you're 150 pounds overweight, people aren't going to listen to you. Yeah, yeah. But you could give the same crazy advice. Like if a guy with six pack abs shredded, looks amazing, goes, dude, Twinkies, bro. Twinkies all day. I'd fucking go get some Twinkies. I mean, honestly. Like, all right. Yeah. Like, hey. People ask me for my Abertine and I don't do crunches. And I don't know what to say. Right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm 38% black. Uh, <laughs> genetics. That, well, all right. That's specific. <laughs> 23 and me, you should try it. It's like a genetic testing service. Have you tried it? I have not. Oh, dude. They'll send a kit to your house and you swab it inside of your mouth. And then they send it back and they sequence your DNA. Wow. And they tell you where all your parents are I from. know 23 and me. So yeah. did they actually tell you that you're 38% black? 30, not even just black, sub-Saharan South African. Wow. And they sequence That's everything. They tell you like your, your um, genetic predispositions for like sickness. They'll tell you, you probably have a cleft chin. Uh, you have fast twitch muscle fibers. Wow. You probably prefer salty foods over sweet. 
It's pretty, you should try it. That stuff's amazing. Can we get really deep on the genetics for a second? Yeah. So here's the fascinating thing about being 38% black. Tell me. That it's really that because black people are almost certainly the oldest lineage on the planet, there's the most genetic diversity. So for one person who's 38% black and they have shredded abs and can eat Twinkies, there's another person who's 38% black. They can't go near anything because they're on the opposite end of the spectrum of you. That's my dad. So, wow, it's interesting <laughs> that it would be in the same family. <laughs> but that, that's what I find you know, so, so interesting about that is it's just that they span the whole spectrum, mm -hmm. right? So they've, yeah, it's, uh, and you know, I mean, now we're, we're definitely sort of beyond what I really understand. So if anybody understands genetics way better than I and wants to call in or write in to slap me around, trust me, I'll just take it. Um, but that is, yeah, that's something that I read that I thought was really, really fascinating that there's just the most genetic diversity. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the dark side of entrepreneurship. Right. Have you ever been depressed? Um, I don't know that I'll say I was fully depressed, but I've been really close. Yeah. And, and what precipitated that? A lack of feeling like I controlled my life. So as the, so my entrepreneurial journey began with feeling like I was coming to the world with my hand out and I felt like I was trapped in the matrix. I could do more. I could be more, but I didn't know how to make it happen. I felt like something was trapping me, but I didn't know what. And of course, what I came to find out was it was my own mindset. Um, so at that period in my life, I had dreams, but I didn't know how to realize them. And that was by far the most frustrated and hopeless I've ever been. Um, and that began my entrepreneurial journey. So in fairness, that was before I would consider myself right. an entrepreneur. Um, once I started considering myself an entrepreneur, the most desperate I got was when I was chasing money and I ended up handing the equity back and right. that whole story that we went through. Um, that was me at my darkest, just feeling like um, nothing mattered, that I wasn't happy, that you know, there was no fulfillment in my life. I didn't have purpose. There was, you know, I wasn't bringing value to people's lives. That was really, really hard for me. And I just started to feel hollow chasing money. Hmm. You know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, do you think that there's a, um, like a, a, a definitive process for getting out of that negative mindset or is it, does it just happen one day? Do you no, it's a definitive process. Everything in life is a process and, and dude, take nothing away from me other than the following. We are all born lumps of flesh, unable to hold our own head up, shitting in our pants. Okay. That's where everyone starts. Every great human being, yeah. Michael Jordan, Galileo, Abraham Lincoln, like anybody anywhere ever that has done something that has astonished you started out in that state. Shitting on themselves. Yes, literally. <laughs> Not a single person has escaped it. And we all build ourselves brick by brick. And it's really about getting great. And once people understand the subtle difference between wanting to be a champion and wanting to be capable of a championship performance, once they understand ah. that difference, like stop worrying about the riches and the fame and the girls and the house and the car, stop. Start thinking about being capable of the extraordinary. Like the moment you get to the point where you would be disappointed winning a championship with a subpar performance versus losing and having played at your absolute best and giving yourself yes, the chills and yes, feeling like you were yes, in the zone and that yes. everything in your life had built towards that moment and you fucking delivered. With the entire world staring at you, you delivered. If at that moment you'd feel better about that, 
Now I know you're going to do something. Now I know one day you will win the championship. But if all you want are the accolades, you're never going to get there. It's not going to keep you at the gym long enough. It's not going to push you to win the third, fourth, fifth, sixth championship, yeah. right? Because you've already got it. Yeah. But when it's about the championship performance, when it's about being capable of that, looking at yourself as a human and saying the very meaning of life is to find out how many skills I can acquire that have utility and then putting that utility to the test in service of something grander than myself, like when you get to that point, you will be unfucking stoppable. But people don't pay attention to that. They just want the, the echo. They don't want to shout, right? But you've really got to figure out like, who do you want to be? Not what do you want to have? Yeah. Not what do you want yeah. to have? Who do you want to be, right? And who do you want to be when no one's looking? And that to me is, is the judge of a man. If nobody's looking, how do you act? right? That's when you know yourself. And the beautiful part for anybody willing to look, you already have the answer. You already know if you show up when nobody's paying attention. You already know if you do the extra set, right? Like all of it's there. You, you know, know if, you, you know, are. if you stay, do the extra reps, you know, hundred percent. no one else knows. You might say, I'm having trouble getting this thing done. And someone will say, oh, well, you know, what's going on? And you know, if you're putting in the work or not. No question. It's so funny, man. I, I think about that often when, so Sean, producer here, we train jujitsu together and we, um, a lot of times when I'm training for a competition. I have a, a very subtle option and it's, I can go home right now or I can stay a little bit longer mm. and no one will really know if I go home and no one will particularly care, right. but I'll know. And when I go to that tournament, if I get my ass kicked, I'll know that there's something else I could have done. Yes. Now, if I get my ass kicked, but I stayed in the gym, what can I say to myself? But you fucking put it on the line. You did it, you know? And then I don't feel bad about an, an L who cares, right. you know? It's interesting because I, I feel like we have this great ability to connect with people and, and social media is obviously a powerful tool, but there's a, a very big misunderstanding, like you said, between a championship and a championship mindset. And I think too many of us are focused on the championship and not the mindset it takes to get there. For sure. Interesting. Yeah. And, and even going a step further. So, okay, now you've got the mindset, but are you really acquiring the skills, right? Yeah. So when I think about all the things that I'm bad at, or when I mess something up, uh, you know, do you go then acquire that skill? Or do you hope, wow, I hope nobody noticed that, right? So that I don't have to face up to that because nobody saw it. So now I can just hide it. When you start, you said it perfectly. You said, but I'll know, yeah, I'll right? Know. And when that's the refrain that rings through your mind and you put in that extra effort, like that's when everything will change for you. Um, not too long ago, I was doing, um, I went to a, a networking conference and you know how they always do like, and now we're going to do yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, there were Ice two breakers. options. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the options was mountain biking. Now I've never been mountain biking in my life and we were up in the mountains. So it's at <laughs> altitude. And I say, ah, I'm never yeah. mountain bike. Let's try it. And so I get on the mountain bike and, and I'm, you know, going, going, going. I'm like, wow, I'm getting really tired, man. Like this is pretty <laughs> brutal. And everyone keeps going, keeps going. And I'm like, this, this is nuts. Like I'm really gassed. I'm fatiguing. I'm gasping for air. Everyone's now coming back and I haven't even made it to like the halfway point. And they're like, Hey, Hey, you should turn back. No, no, no. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And then finally, like the teacher is coming back, the instructor. And she's like, Hey, I can't let you go. And she was like, you know, we can't take responsibility for you. Just turn around. Like, she's like, I'm the last one. Right. Basically saying there's they nobody else. You basically. Yeah. So they'd, they'd all gone. They were coming back. And, um, and I said, you don't understand me. Like there's no universe in which I quit. So I'm like, you can disavow me. You can record me saying that I refuse to turn around with you, but there's no way I'm stopping. And so she leaves. And now I'm literally the last person on the mountain. So it's like, 
there's a voice in my head screaming, no one will know. No one will know. Just turn around, man. No one will know. Like, what are you trying to prove? Because they're like, you're going to get eaten by a bear or something. They're like, there's a reason we do this in a pack. And I'm like, but I would know, right? Yeah. Like there are some fates worse than death and being too chicken or too tired to keep going. Like I would know. So I fucking ground it out, man. And I made it all the way there. I made it all the way back. It was so hateful. And I was like, I don't ever want to do that again. It's just pure hate but, and adrenaline. Yeah, oh, for sure. But I was like, to be the person I want to be, I have to finish. Right. Right. So it, it really comes down to who you are when nobody's watching. It's so funny too, because absolutely no one cared except you. No For one sure. cared if you finished the race. Yep. No one cared. That happened to me. I was climbing Mount Olympus in Greece and we got to the point where we where we could hit the summit, but it started to snow and it was pretty fucking cold. It's Mount Olympus. And uh, some people decided, I'm going to stay at the lodge. We're, we're almost at the top of the mountain. What do you mean you're going to stay at the lodge? Right. It's ridiculous. No one will know. I'll know. Yeah. And the funny thing is like my performance was embarrassing. <laughs> well, and people were embarrassed for me. I mean, I was dead last. There were like, you know, 50 year old, and I'm, I'm not kidding. There were 50 year olds that were doing better than me. And, but I was like, that doesn't bother me. I, other people can think I should be embarrassed, but that wasn't, I don't judge myself for being a good mountain biker or not. I judge myself for starting what I fin yeah, or finishing what yeah, I start, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Of not this great quote, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Mm, so yeah. I don't mind wanting to quit. I mind quitting. Right. Well, yeah, and I think that, well, this is an interesting tie-in because um, I'll watch your Instagram stories and your posts and you're a fucking cyborg in terms of your, your like your schedule. <laughs> and I'm up yeah. pretty early, dude. I'm up at like 4.45, 5. I'm thinking I'm killing it. And you're like, 3.30, I'm in the gym. Is, is, this like a, is this a natural thing for you? Have you trained yourself to get like that? Um, so I don't set an alarm. That's really important for people to understand. I think the big thing that, that separates me is um, I go to bed early. What time? So I go to bed at nine. Oh, okay. So that's, uh, you know, people, I don't know if they think I'm going to bed at midnight and waking up at 3.30. Like, right. I am not. Right. Um, I sleep as much as I need. So if I need eight hours, I'm going to get eight hours. Um, I just find that once you start focusing your life around things that light you on fire with excitement, you just don't sleep as much. So, um, yeah, I sleep five to six hours a night. So if I go to bed at nine, then I'm naturally up by two or three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I happen to have a gym in my house. So, you know, 30 minutes, usually significantly less, sometimes 15 minutes after I realize I'm awake, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my first set. So, and, and look, I do all kinds of little things to increase efficiency. So my workout clothes are sitting next to my bed on the floor. So as soon as I get up, I put my workout clothes on and, and I walk out and head to the gym. And, um, so yeah. And at the end of the day, look, I'm all in on my life. I know what I want. I don't have kids. There aren't things pulling for my attention for a reason. For a reason, reason, for a reason, very much for a reason. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm dedicated to what I'm trying to accomplish. I know what I want to do. It's a huge goal for me in my lifetime to build something bigger than Disney is going to take a Herculean effort. Yeah. Um, Hateful effort. Yeah, for sure. And look, you should be motivated by beauty and rage in equal measure. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and for all the people that have doubted me, I love that shit that fuels me. Right. I need people to say that I can't do it. You can't do it, Tom. Thank you. The, the <laughs> only problem with that one is when you know somebody secretly is you on your team, <laughs> but, um, but there are people legitimately that want to see me fail. Why? Right. Uh, dude, nobody is ever going to love you. Yeah. And, and there's a great, um, quote from Churchill. You have enemies. Good. It means you stood for something yeah, at some point yeah, in your yeah. life. So I love that. Right. And I'm an acquired taste as I'm sure you are. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, whenever you're exactly who you are, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. And 
so be it. What what's the I mean what's the social impact of having such a, an early bedtime though because I've had that that problem too I, I wake up pretty early it means I have to go to bed earlier right. and now at least the stage where I'm at in in my life with the, with the book coming out uh, I'm at a point now where I'm like I'm I'm blossoming a lot and I have to make a lot of connections with people because they help me and so I find that it's hard for me to to really like to call that area of my life do you find that you have to shut down other areas of your life to accommodate the what you need to get done? Not right now, but I mean, you're making a super valid point. It's like, if, if it doesn't make sense to get up early in your world and you've got your goals and the steps to get there require you to stay out late, then stay out late. Yeah. Like, I, I'm goal driven, right? So I don't have some um, moral mandate that- It's not like an entrepreneurial must that you have to be up at 3.30. No, not at all. Tom, Bill, you's up at 3.30. Yeah. My thing is, dude, put in the work, yeah. right? So if I'm clocking routinely, because truly during the week, I do take downtime on the weekend but during the week, I'm either working out or working yeah. if I'm awake. Um, and I get, you know, five to six hours sleep. That's it. And, and, you know, I get on the grind. And then, I mean, but if you really think about it, being up as early as I'm up, I've put in, if you count working out, which I do, I count working out meditation all as, as a part of what I need to do to be an effective entrepreneur. So I count my work clock from the moment I'm in the gym. Um, I'll put in a full eight hour day before the first employee shows up. Correct. Yeah. So like, think about that, yeah. right? So I'm going to do their full day plus a whole nother full day on top of it before they get there. Yeah. Um, and I'll put in eight to 10 hours of work before I check my first email. I saw, I saw some of your stories and it was during launch week for impact theory, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about in a minute and everyone's nodding off and you're like, my team is falling asleep <laughs> and I can't wait to launch. Dude, in, in fairness to these guys, and we've got one of the studs standing right here. Shout out to this, Jared. this team, shout out to agent Smith. This kid is legit. <laughs> this team is so amazing. They make me sweat. They are phenomenal players. They keep you they, on pace, man. Oh, it's dude. like a relay team. Now Pass these the guys, they're, they're unbelievable. And that's how Daniel is. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You, you, having teammates that play at your level, there's nothing totally. that compares to that. It's and, hard to find them though. And these, uh, <laughs> I assure you, yeah. um, these guys play at my level. Yeah. And that's what we're about. They're all grinders. They're, yeah. They all believe in what we're doing. They're all trying to impact the world. Yeah. Um, and they they get it, right? That it's about skill acquisition. It's about getting better. It's about pushing yourself. Um, and, and in no uncertain terms, impact theory right now, and hopefully it, it will be more, but right now it is seven people. It is not one person. We have a front man. Uh, but this is, this is a band with seven equal parts. Yeah. So what's the, so, and let's kind of move into to impact theory and talk about it. Bigger than Disney is a, is a grand goal. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, something to hold you accountable. It's a big vision. Some people are going to shit on you for it, yeah, but for then sure. what's the practical steps? To, I mean, you may not even know, but like, what's the, how do you, how do you plan to roll it out? What are, what are the phases? How do you know if you're on track? Yeah. So Daniel. You have to know the early steps. If you start talking about being bigger than Disney, right. you can't even tell me phase one, right. stab you in the throat. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, here's how it looks. Phase one is community building. All right. And right. why community building? Because I'm going to tell you right now that we're living through a moment where people, as, as big as it's gotten, mm -hmm. social media, YouTube, it's in its infancy. Yeah. And people think, oh man, it's already there. It's established. Like I couldn't hope to break in. Okay. That, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the transition that's happening right now. You're getting the first generation now that are growing up, not knowing that it didn't exist. No one is aggregating it. You want a billion dollar business, figure out how to make that shit watchable. Cause right now YouTube is not, you can't string together three minute clips in a coherent fashion. There's no way to flip through the channels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
boil it down to its physics. What do people want to do? People want to be lazy. They want to sit back. They don't want to be the ones having to curate their own playlist in real time. That's why DJs exist. So somebody is going to solve that problem. It's a big fucking business. And by the way, if you know how to do it, I'd like to invest in you, buy you, or mentor you. <laughs> this is um, number two for the day. Yes, this is number two. I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, but nonetheless, people that really understand how to do shout and echo content. So that's what we're all about. So right now, Agent Smith is filming me and we're going to turn, you know, uh, seven to 10 rants that I've gone on in this podcast and to standalone pieces of content. And I don't have to do anything additional for those. Um, so those, you know, become extra stuff. We have this whole ecosystem of content being put out there that is the bat symbol in the sky. Now, why am I throwing the bat symbol in the sky? Because wearing it on your shirt. I, and I'm also wearing Batman, which is, this is phase two, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but first, Fucking see how early I plant seeds. <laughs> You'll notice I'm doing what's called high-low. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing a low t-shirt, meaning it's low fashion. It's got Batman on the cover, but I'm wearing like Armani suit jacket, okay? <laughs> so I've got a high-low combination. Why? Because I'm planting that seed because I'm going to make high-low suits and t-shirts. And you'll notice I probably already said twice already, rep what you believe, which is going to be a whole big thing for us. All seeds, baby seeds, planting, planting. So phase one, planting seeds, building the community, teaching people what the ideology is. My ideology is real. And what I mean by that is if you follow the things that I say, it will improve your life. You'll be better. You'll be able to execute better parent, better employee, better business owner, whatever you want to do. Everything I'm saying is real. And if you put it into use, it will actually work. So building content around ideology is critical. I read a book probably 15 years ago uh, more now. Wow. Um, that changed my life called The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, one of the biggest problems that we have is our rituals are totally meaningless now. Uh, we have all this mythology, but people don't understand it. And I realized that as a society, we are content machines. We're really good at making this mythology and we're really bad at understanding how to implement it in our own lives. So why am I wearing a Batman t-shirt? Because I understand something people don't, which is that Batman is an instruction manual for how to live. And while yes, it is a, a story that many people look at as cheesy, I look at it and go, okay, it's a guy with no superpowers who holds himself to a standard, who uh, through discipline, focus, will, um, acquire skills, and he wants to put those skills to use in service of something bigger than himself. He understands that the bat is an idea and ideas can't be killed. Yeah. I mean, just like all this stuff yeah. that really applies to real life. And I'm just um, wise enough to say, I'm going to take those lessons for what they are, which is very powerful um, information given to me by amazing writers through time who've been putting this mythology together for me to actually use in my own life to really build something. Um, And so I've done that. And there's a whole cadre of heroes. It just happens to be that Batman is so easy to get a t-shirt of. Iron Man's one of them too. Iron Man's very easy and and a great example. In the modern version, the old version, he was an alcoholic and it was all stupid. But they've really cleaned up his image, which is fantastic. So putting out this ideology, building a community around ideology, because I need to, the phase two is we're going to build a technology layer. And the technology layer is going to allow the community that I built in phase one to tell me what are the companies, because I can't meet all these entrepreneurs. So what are the companies out there that are worth us incubating, funding, all of that? So it'll pop virally within our community through the technology. It'll go viral. And then they'll get access to our game of death, pagoda style, um, (laughs) ever increasing access to resources. So at the base of the pagoda, if you've gone viral within our community, 
then you might, maybe it's just access to office space. Yeah, yeah. And then if, whoa, you actually do something and I see that you're a grinder and you show up and you put in the work and you're getting better and you're improving, then maybe we start marketing for you and we've built this huge community for you. And so then we start getting feedback on whether your product is working, whether there's actually a market for it. And if we see that and you're still a grinder and you're putting in the work and you're improving and getting better, then maybe we start funding you. Yeah. So there'll be this pagoda of resources that people will be accessing. That's phase two. Um, and that those examples are on the company side, but remember there's two pillars, there's companies and content, right. how we'll treat them will be the same. So the technology layer will tell me what comic book should be turned into a TV show, should yeah. be turned into a movie, whatever the case may be. Um, so that we're using the community that we built in phase one with the technology that we built in phase two to get to phase three, which is really monetizing this stuff. So what you see is all of our content is free. We're not going to be asking for anything um, from people other than equity. And the reason that I want equity is I want to be incentivized like they're incentivized. Right. So if we help you and it's crushing, then we make something. If we don't help you and your company doesn't go anywhere, well, then I shouldn't get anything for that. Right. Um, but what I'm realizing is in this social age where people really don't understand the true power of doing this um, shout and echo style content where there's just a ton of it who somebody is aggregating very intelligently um, is in doing all of that, it creates this huge opportunity for somebody who understands how to market because cutting through the noise is now the problem. Right. So you have all this noise in social media. It's deafening. And yeah. we lived through this brief moment where people could really build a career. Look at Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. Built his career on YouTube. Crazy. But that was whatever, seven, eight, 10 years ago. That, that moment's over. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to do that now unless you have somebody that understands marketing. So where we think we exist is my background is filmmaking. I understand narrative. I'm knee deep in mythology. In film school? Yep. Yeah. And that's really, um, mythology has really guided my life and instructed me on how to act. And I take mythology in the form of comic books, movies, books, all that TV very, very seriously. I look at it as giving me the pieces of information that I need to construct my identity, uh, to build a skill set. Um, to have the internal fortitude to see things through. So we want to teach people how to do that. We want to give them the specific ideology, and then we want to teach them how to execute against that. Because at the end of the day, only execution matters. So we're going to be helping entrepreneurs and content creators to actually execute and then build that echo um, ecosystem around them where when they create the comic book that is turned into a movie, that's turned into plush dolls, that's turned into t-shirts, that's turned into hats, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. I've planted the seeds all along the way about high-low fashion so people can walk into a business meeting wearing a t-shirt of the Matrix, which Impact Theory created, that we source the designs from the community because they understand the ideology. Yeah, yeah. And now we've got creators from all over the world submitting artwork that we give them uh, basically like an iTunes split where they get 70% because every dumb predatory motherfucker out there has always tried to flip it and take 70% because they think, hey, we're the marketers. We've got the infrastructure. As soon as you do that, all that creator is doing is trying to do it themselves. Yep. But if they get the bulk of it, they're not because they would rather just take their 70% and let you build your business off the 30%. Shape, yeah. But that lets us scale. How's that? Nice and specific. That's a 50-year plan. It's a 50-year plan. I like it because, um, because the fact that you're sourcing the talent, producing the, producing the content and then creating the culture around it. You were, cause at the end of the day, you're creating culture, right? hundred percent. You know, and a culture, just like an idea doesn't die. Correct. You know, it sometimes gets refreshed and recycled, but that's what Disney has done. They've created a culture and all these big brands have done that. And you did that with quest at a, at a, to a certain degree, right? The community created a culture. For sure. Um, 
And I'm sure you've seen a lot of other people try to imitate that as, as the years have gone by. Yeah. And my thing is the reason that we're so willing to tell people what we're doing is I invite anyone to try to out execute me. And there's a moat, right? I think we talked about this. Before. No, there's the, the only moat is people's um, lack of willingness to work as hard as I work. Yeah. That's a moat. That is it. That's a, that's a real moat though. The, the, the ideas themselves are um, not complicated. You know, it's relatively simple. It's the physics of the human mind. Yeah. But you look across the ocean, you look up the mountain, you're like, oh, fuck that. You know, let Tom do it, you know? And what are you going to do? You're going to be on your mountain bike, huffing and puffing. (laughs) (laughs) Ugly, winning ugly. I love that concept. Damn. Well, okay. Let's kind of, let's kind of bring it home. Let's do it. Um, Do you believe in aliens? Um, I'm not sure. So here's, here's an idea that's occurred to me recently. So if we're in the matrix, there's probably no aliens. Uh, if we're not in the matrix, there's almost certainly aliens. For sure. For sure. For sure. It's just too much space. And, and you, you do believe that Elon Musk is going to make Mars happen. Um, Elon Musk or someone. Or someone. Would yeah. you, would you be one of the first to go? No way. No way. Why not? Um, I plan to live forever. <laughs> And I truly, <laughs> truly, and I think, um, being an early adopter of something like that is way too much risk for mortality, a mortality event. Um, but you know, let's say a hundred years in when it's still, when you're still alive, wild, which I will be for sure. But really think about that. Cause I think people, um, think I'm being tongue in cheek and I say this a lot that I plan to live forever. So we're, I forget what year it is, but it's like in the 20s. So 2023 20, or something like that. Um, they expect that every year that you live, you'll add like three years life expectancy. Is that a real stat? Yeah. Interesting. So I, I don't remember the exact date, but it's something like that. Or maybe it's, you know, for every year you add 1.6 years or something, but it's, there's a date coming in the next 10 years where we cross a line. Um, and you add every year, you add more life expectancy than you're taking up. So if that's true, then first of all, just that alone may be the solution. Obviously, there's still violent death and all that stuff. Um, but then at some point, uh, you hit 2045, which is Ray Kurzweil's notion of the singularity, where um, we'll, this isn't exactly how he defines it, and I can define what a singularity is and how it relates to a black hole, but I won't, um, where you'll be able to upload your consciousness. Right, yeah. And so that's that to me is a fascinating conundrum because you've uploaded your consciousness, but you're not dead. So now there's actually two of you. So which one is really you? Mm. So there's there's a lot of that to deal with, but um, also I, would, I wouldn't be an early adopter, but I would upgrade myself. So I would insert microchips and things like that. In fact, Agent Smith was just asking me about that earlier today um, in a podcast we were doing um, for our own show. And it, I would do it for sure. And I think everybody will. And it's actually not true. The world is going to divide and it's going to get really freaky. And there are going to be people who do augment and people who don't. And yeah. they'll be the purists. And unfortunately for them, they'll die off because that's- That's the part. That's, that's the, mother nature. That's where we diverge. Exactly. This, that's part of the human potential movement, right? People looking to not only extend their lives, but extend their lives with in service to humanity. Sure. Right? Because that's, that's the only reason you'd want to live forever, hopefully, is to continue to do good work. Yeah. I mean, look, we could really go down some crazy rabbit holes here about once you can take over, like right now, we're the result of a lot of subconscious processes that determine what feels good and all that. But what happens if you can manipulate that? Like what happens Mm. when all of a sudden um, eating broccoli is as satisfying as a bowl of ice cream? 
what happens when um, being alone is as emotionally gratifying as having a partner, right? And it's all just mm-hmm. dials that you can turn. Um, so it, it is a it is a world that terrifies most people, but I find infinitely fascinating. You probably will be here forever, and, and that that sure as hell beats the whole cryogenic shit. I don't want to be yeah. un- de- I don't want to be thawed in, in walking back up. That that's a, a gnarly game. plan B. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, look, mad shout out to my boy Steve Aoki, who <laughs> actually is going to get frozen should he go a little sooner than expected. Um, and I respect it. Uh, yeah, I dig it. I have a few of my friends who uh, who have already signed up for to be part of that project. Yeah, and I'm just like, huh, okay, why not? I guess I'll take a second chance. I'm like, not going to be here. It's fine. So might as well give it a shot. Where can we find out more about Impact Theory? Um, well, the the place to really go, because we're doing everything through my socials, is at Tom Bilyeu. We'll put it all in the links, and we'll put it in the email, and we'll put it in the description. So Beautiful. And then um, our universe is held at impacttheory.com. Love it. Tom Bilyeu, thank you so much, brother. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. You just experienced the Rich 20-something podcast. My friends, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tom as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. And it's great to hear uh, not only where my mindset was then, but now also to see where his mindset was and see how he's improved since then. So make sure you check out everything Impact Theory is doing, everything Tom is doing, and uh, and really the the wisdom of coming from nothing and being uh, in having the ingenuity to be resourceful is really, I think, the timeless. Uh, classic advice that you can get from a self-made entrepreneur like Tom. So I hope that you enjoyed everything we dropped today. And make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com to get all the updates on the show. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors like Swanix Sleep. And uh, and much love, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So everyone, jump on in. Let's get ready to surf. This new wave, Daniel, out. Daniel, out.